How are the things of the world, the movements of the world, pulling together in harmony with what Jesus has told us in the book of Revelation? Do we see things moving into position for those final movements that will end the game of this world and how it is? Welcome to Ben's Bible Podcast. I'm Ben Burkhart, your host, and on this podcast, we share refreshing and faith-building biblical truths. I hope you'll plan to join us on a regular basis. God bless you, and let's jump in to this week's episode. This morning's message is, I believe, a very, very important message for our time, for the times that we're living in, and the title of this message is Check or Checkmate. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into this thought for today. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your wonderful love. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for Jesus who lives today for us. We pray, Lord, that you will guide us this morning by your spirit as we seek to open your word and understand your message for this time. We thank you, Lord, for your wisdom and your guidance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those who are familiar with the game of chess, you know that a checkmate is when your king gets stuck and there's no way out. Any, any move you make, it's certain death. And in check, it's pretty close to that, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're put on the defensive. You have to respond. You have to do something. You have to move to try to get out of it. But you know, it's getting pretty close to the end of the game if you're starting to get into check. You don't want to be really in either of those places. Now I wonder about our world today. Are we getting close to check or checkmate in the world today? How are the things of the world, the movements of the world, pulling together in harmony with what Jesus has told us in the book of Revelation? Do we see things moving into position for those final movements that will end the game of this world and how it is? Let's find out what the Bible says this morning, and let's find out what the world is telling us this morning through major events that are taking place. We want to see that and discover that today. So, a scripture that we can look at is Revelation chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up. Revelation chapter 1. And we find the, the introduction to the message of Revelation. The Bible says here, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. The book of Revelation is a revealing, it's a revealing of important truths for us, for God's people. The Bible says here, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God the Father gave to him to show unto his servants things that would shortly come to pass. We gather today as God's servants, amen. And the Lord is revealing to us important things. And he says that when we study this book, 
we will receive a true blessing. When we study and take to heart the teachings that are found in this book, we will be truly blessed. That's a promise, isn't it? In verse 3, that we will receive a great blessing as we keep those things that are written, and it says the time is at hand. Now, some things happen in the first century, and things have happened throughout history, but a lot's happening right now in these last days of history. Would you agree? A lot is happening right now in our world today, and the Lord wants us to be aware of that. So, Revelation is very, very important for us to to dive into here in these last days. And I love it how he says a short time, and it's been 2,000 years since this book started, but we have to keep in mind there has been fulfillment from that time all the way until now. And not only that, but when God looks at time, a thousand years is like a day to God, right? So it's been a couple days in the Lord's book. So a short time, and we know time is way shorter today than it has ever been before. Now, there's some other important things that we want to consider. If we want to see Revelation fulfilling, we need to look at the events going on in our world. Is this true? We need to look at the events in the political world and the events in the religious world. Now, how do we know that we need to look at those things when we study Revelation? How do we know that's important? Well, the Bible tells us that those are the main points that prophecy is showing us. God's revealing things in the religious and political worlds. So, notice Daniel 7.23. It tells us, And he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. So, when we look at these prophetic beast powers, Daniel has them. Revelation talks about the beasts. We see that the Bible is describing kingdoms, nations, political powers at work. So, when we get into Revelation, we see the beast described in Revelation 13. Actually, there's a couple beasts there. We see another beast mentioned in chapter 17 and in various spots in Revelation. We know the Bible is talking about these political powers that affect the world. So, they are globally famous, globally powerful. These are important points to consider as we journey through God's Word on these important topics. Now, let's take a look at Revelation, and you can open your Bible to this one. Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. The Bible outlines here some key events for us to watch for. Revelation 17, verse 1 and 2, and it says this, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Verse 3, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Here we see a woman riding upon a beast. Again, we've just learned from the Bible that a beast is a political power, a nation. Here's this woman riding on the beast. So you have a corrupt woman using the power of a nation. Now, some people wonder, is that just a woman off the street somewhere? What kind of woman is this? Well, if you look throughout Scripture, you see that the term woman is applied to God's people who have gone south, 
who have departed from God's Word. When you look at Ezekiel 16, when you look at Ezekiel 23, and many of the Old Testament prophets, Israel was described as a harlot when she went away from God and His Word. And so we see that this term is clearly used throughout the prophets, throughout the Bible, and it's right here in the book of Revelation telling us that the religious world goes south, away from God, right? Departing from God and His truth and riding upon a beast, harnessing the power of the state to push their religious agendas. Pretty incredible, isn't it? So this is the world that we live in, and the Bible says that the kings of the earth have committed fornication with this corrupted woman. So we have the political powers and the religious powers coming together in the last days. And this is very, very important for us to understand and be able to observe in the world. Now, the Bible says that also she sits upon many waters. Verse 15 describes those waters where the horse sits as peoples, multitudes, and nations, and tongues. This is a great global event. I don't know if it's great, but it's great in size. <laughs> it's not a great thing, but it's great in size. And so this is not something we'll miss. This is something that we're going to be seeing, right? Something that we're going to be hearing about. Because all the world, the peoples, the nations, the languages are affected by this movement in the last days. Very important to, uh, to know these things, to realize what is going on. Now, let's take a look at verse 12 of Revelation 17. The Bible says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Now, keeping in mind, when John wrote these words back in the first century, he was living in the days of ancient Rome. At that time, these powers had not yet developed. These ten horns and kings and these nations, divided nations of the world, had not yet come into existence. Um, but they were soon to develop on the scene. And so now in these last days, we will be seeing these powers, and we know that as we continue on through these verses, that that is so. It tells us that these ten kings or nations are seen, and it says they receive power as kings one hour with the beast. That's the beast that the woman rides on. Verse 13 says, these have one, what? One mind. One mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Huh. So we see that these kingdoms of the world have one common mind in the last days. They come together with one common mindset and they give their power unto the beast. This beast that the woman rides upon. And then it tells us, it tells us here in verse 14, these shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Can you say amen to that? Jesus wins. The Lamb wins. And the Bible tells us that these powers make war with the Lamb. They also make war with his people. If you read Revelation 12 and verse 17, the Bible says the dragon was angry with the woman. This was the pure woman of Revelation 12. And he goes to make war with those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So he makes war with the followers of Jesus in the last days. And the nations make war with Jesus when he comes. They're ready to fight him, to try to take him down. They're in opposition to the Lord Jesus, to his kingdom. 
they have their own global kingdom that they want in the last days. And so the Bible is telling us very important last day events, last day events which lead up to the coming of Jesus. We are awaiting that glorious coming of Jesus today, amen? We are awaiting the second coming of Jesus. And so they come with this unity message, this one-mindedness in the last days, these powers pulling together religious and political powers. And it creates a very dangerous situation for God's people, for those who love the Lord Jesus and who want to keep His commandments. The story is told also in Revelation 13 and 14, where it tells us that ultimately, the saints, the faithful ones of God, are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. That's the only way to be faithful. Follow Jesus and keep His commandments. Amen? That's Revelation 14, 12. Very important scriptures for us to keep in mind here in these last days. Now, one other thing I'll point out is the beast that this woman rides on that we see there in chapter 17 is also the same beast described in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3, uh, commonly known as the beast that a mark and an image is made to, right? So that one, the Bible says in Revelation 13, 3, the entire world wonders after the beast. It says they have a deadly wound that's healed and the entire world wonders after the beast. So world famous? Yes or no? Yes, world famous, right? The entire world wonders after the beast. You can't miss world famous powers or players, can you? They've got to be right out there in the open. You've got to be able to see them. They're world famous. And the Bible tells us that people worship that beast. Revelation 13, 4. They say, who can make war with the beast? And the Bible says they worship him. Again, there's the religious side, following this beast power and worshiping this political and religious power. Very, very dangerous. Now, the Bible does give us some more identifying marks in Revelation 17 about who this power is. The Bible says that uh, this woman sits upon seven hills. Now, if you Google the city of seven hills, you'll find out very quickly which city that was. Rome was famous for that. And I won't say a lot more, but uh, just some ideas. You can study out this chapter and you'll learn a lot more. But we're going to look at some other principles. We're going to look at some other fulfillments today of these words in the book of Revelation. Important words for our very time in which we are living. So, we need to watch. Jesus told us as we await His coming that we need to watch and pray. We need to be people of prayer, amen? amen. People of faith, people who trust in God, people who love the Lord. We need to be those people today. And it says, people who watch. We can't just stick our head down on the sand and hope that everything blows over. We need to be watchful and realize what's going on around us and put our trust fully in Jesus and follow Him. We have to be active as Christians, as believers in the last days. And we need to ask some questions. Do we see today the world leaders pulling together in unity? Do they mix religion and politics? Do they pursue a common agenda, a united agenda, a one mind agenda, which can affect the faith of the saints? These are questions we have to ask. Can this lead us astray from following the biblical and true Jesus and His commandments? 
I believe very much that it can. And I believe as we, as we ask each of these four questions, we see the answer to all of them is yes. We see it happening in the world right now. Today, we see it happening in the world in profound ways that we have not seen in years past. It's happening right now in our world, and we're going to see this morning some of the ways in which this is very clearly happening right out in the open and how it will affect our lives in the days to come. So what are some of the recent evidence and fulfillments of prophecy here in our time? What are some of these important things we need to be aware of in the modern day world? I want to share with you some thoughts from a document that was written in the year 2015. Some of you may be familiar with this document. It's entitled Laudato Si, written by Pope Francis, a very famous, well-known religious leader. Most, probably most everyone here today knows who that is. And so Pope Francis wrote this document, Laudato Si, and he addressed it to all people. He addressed it to everyone on the planet. And so we're going to see uh, some of his statements, but I'll, I'll share a couple thoughts. This document is, is uh, broken up by paragraphs and paragraph numbers. And I actually spent some time this week reading through the whole document. No, I didn't read every word, but I, I was looking closely through things and I read a lot of it and went over every single you know, paragraph. So I got a little bit familiar with it. But there's incredible stuff that's written there that is affecting our world today. So paragraph three... He um, addresses this, he says, not just to the Catholic world, but to everyone. I'm going to read to you. It says, Now faced as we are with global environmental deterioration, I wish to address every person living on this planet. Well, if Pope Francis can address everyone on the planet, not just the Catholics, then I want to address everyone on the planet today too. Not just the Adventists or this, our group here, but let's address everyone, right? And let's get the message out there. If, if everyone else can do that, then we better do it too. Let's address everyone. So he says, I'm addressing every person on the planet. In this encyclical, I would like to enter into dialogue with all people about our common home. Refer to that language before? Maybe on the news? Common home? It's big language among political leaders today. Our common home. Yes, we share this planet together. And he wants to enter, uh, come into this conversation with, with people about that. So... Paragraph 4, he says this, In 1971, Pope Paul VI referred to the ecological concern as a tragic consequence of unchecked human activity due to an ill-considered exploitation of nature. Humanity runs the risk of destroying it and becoming, in turn, a victim of this degradation. He spoke in similar terms to the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations about the potential for an ecological catastrophe under the effective exploitation or explosion, sorry, of industrial civilization and stressed the urgent need for a radical change in the conduct of humanity. So this was Pope Francis quoting from a previous pope, okay, from many years back in 1971. That was Pope Paul VI. He was quoting from. So Pope Paul VI actually brought about a lot of environmental concerns. And where did he push those concerns? He pushed them to the United Nations. He pushed them over there. Hey guys, start thinking about this. Our world's in trouble. 
we're in trouble. And, and what was the big problem that he pointed out? The big problem was industrial civilization. Welcome to America. <laughs> that was the big problem. And a lot of these other industrial nations that are really big. Okay, he says, we're all heading towards a lot of trouble. So 1971, this idea is introduced to United Nations. About 20 years later, something happened on the side of the UN regarding climate change. This was the Earth Summit meeting of 1992. And this is where the idea of COP was born or the climate change meeting. So it says here, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change adopted at the 1992 Earth Summit is one of the first international treaties on the topic. Notice international treaties are starting to be made on this, in this area. It affects all the nations. It stipulates that parties should meet regularly to address climate change at the Conference of Parties. That's where you get the idea of COP, C-O-P, Conference of Parties. They have to meet regularly, all the world leaders, to talk about these things. This, this began, the first one, in 1992. It forms the foundation to future climate agreements. Okay, so that's pretty important, but this is building up. It's building up. We're just seeing some of the back history here. This is building up to something really, really big that's actually happening right now. So, Laudato Si is the next big thing on, or in the history here, okay? And that is, of, on May 24th of 2015, Pope Francis wrote this encyclical, an official writing of the Roman Church, and he addressed it not just to Catholics, as I mentioned, but to all people of the world, to everybody. And in this document, he writes about our common home and he dedicates it to, uh, to St. Francis of Assisi. And the word Laudato Si, he says, Laudato Si me signor, praise be to you, my Lord. And he says, in the words of this beautiful, beautiful canticle, St. Francis of Assisi reminds us that our common home is like a sister with whom we share our life and a beautiful mother who opens her arms to embrace us. And so that's how he opens the document in paragraph one, Laudato Si. Okay, so this, this document, keep in mind when it came out, May 24, 2015. Not very much later, something really big happened in that same year among all the nations of the world. You know what it was? They signed something called the Paris Agreement. December 12, 2015. The Paris Agreement, um, basically all the wording for it was adopted. And then it was later um, opened up for signature on the 22nd of April, 2016. Here in the States, Obama was still in office at that time. So 2016, and this thing opens up. It was on Earth Day. And then by November 4 of 2016, they had enough signatures from all of these nations to actually put it into effect. So the Paris Agreement went into effect in that year, in 2016. Very big agreement that's affecting our world today, you know, probably more than we realize. So what were some of the goals of the Paris Agreement that was signed into effect in 2016? One of those goals was reduce all global emissions of fossil fuels by 50% by the year 2030. 
And the USA and China are the largest emitters of these kinds of pollutants, fossil fuels. We like to drive in America. <laughs> we like to get around and use our cars. And so uh, China and America are kind of like the major targets of this, along with other countries too. But uh, in terms of the biggest ones, USA and China. And so the goal is reduce all global emissions of fossil fuels by 50% by 2030. You know how many years away that is right now? We're at the end of 2022. It's about eight years, seven or eight years. That's not far, is it? That's not far. So if you think about this, I mean, how does that work out with your, your vehicles? If you're going to reduce by 50% what you're emitting. We have a lot of gas cars in this country. So further goals are reach net zero by 2050. Well, what is net zero? Well, that's carbon neutrality. And here's what they say. Carbon neutrality is a state of zero or net zero carbon dioxide emissions. This can be achieved by balancing emissions of carbon dioxide with its removal. And they say here the term is used in the context of carbon dioxide releasing processes associated with transportation, energy production, agriculture, and industry. So guess what's going to change in our world? All of those. Transportation, energy production, agriculture, and industry. Everything has to change. These are massive changes. And they're serious about it. This is not just a joke on paper. They're serious about it. And go back to riding horses. Yeah, just about. Because <laughs> if the electricity is not working, you're going to need that horse, right? <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is playing out in a very serious way. And um, this Paris Agreement, uh, there's a few other things. It's called the Climate Accords, Paris Climate Accords, or Paris Accords. So if you hear some of those names tossed around, it's the same thing, right? Um, the Paris Agreement was negotiated by 196 parties at the 2015 United Nations Climate Change Conference near Paris, France. So it's interesting that Toyota has expressed some concerns about this already. I don't know if you heard that on the news not long ago. Some of the leaders at Toyota were expressing, hey, this is a little bit too aggressive. We're not really sure about this. Out there in California, they said, we're going to cut out like all these gasoline engines. We're not going to sell any more gasoline cars by the year 2030. Toyota's like, that's pretty aggressive. What are you guys doing? And so they're really taking a hack at the industrialized nations, at you know, nations like the United States, and they're just really trying to shut things down. Imagine what it could look like if they say, all right, 50% of the gasoline cars have to be off the road by 2030. That's just eight years from now. What would our parking lot look like? How do we all get to church? That's... that's wild and this is this is greatly affecting everybody and so they they have this goal they want to keep emissions carbon emissions down below um, two percent it says here the paris agreement's long-term temperature goal is to keep the rise in mean global temperature to well below um, two degrees centigrade that's 3.6 degrees fahrenheit above pre-industrial levels and preferably limit the increase to 1.5 so they want to reach net zero by the middle of the 21st century. Again, that's 2050. So pretty serious things here. Now, how has this played out in some of the recent political things in the United States? Well, you know the agreement was entered into in 2000, well, agreed on with the words in 2015 and kind of went into effect in 2016. The United States joined it April 1st, 2016 under Barack Obama's White House. 
On August 4, 2017, this is just a year later, the Trump administration gave notice of intent to leave. They said, we don't like this. We don't like this agreement. It's, this doesn't support our way of life. And uh, we're going to back out of it. So he, he said, we're giving notice. But you know what? It was set up in such a way that they had to wait three years before they could actually get out of it. They said, look, we want to get out of this. We're planning to. So three years later, they gave their notice, official notice of withdrawal. That was on November 4, 2019. Trump and his team say, we're out of this. We're getting out of this. But after giving notice, they had to wait an additional year before they could officially withdraw. That's all written into the rules of the Paris Agreement. Had to wait an additional year. So finally, on November 4 of 2020, after the year-long wait that was required, the U.S. officially withdrew. That was November of 2020. January 20, on 2021, Joe Biden moved into the office. First day in the office, he signs a... Uh, uh, um, What's the word? Executive order? Almost said papal bull. <laughs> that would fit too, wouldn't it? <laughs> all right. <laughs> he says he's all about the Pope's social policy, right? <laughs> but he signed an executive order, okay? An executive order um, to readmit the United States into the Paris Agreement. Notice that. We had to wait through all that, three years and then one year, and then finally we get out of it, and then Joe Biden takes office. No way. We're back into this day one. We're back into it. He says, I'm all about the policies of the social policies of the Catholic Church. He's all about it. He says, we're back into it. And of course, they welcomed America back as the missing link that weakened the whole. The missing link. Come on. Welcome back, America. So you wonder why gas prices are going up? World leaders are completely against it at any and every cost. Doesn't matter if you can't get to work. Stay home. You'll save the environment. We'll meet our goals. Why are these? Yeah, it's serious. It's really, really affecting us. So right now, here we are in November of 2022. November 6th through 18. That, that means we're right, in, we're right in that window here today, aren't we? Um, they're having, they're holding this meeting, COP27, Together for Implementation. Okay, the COP27 meeting. The theme of their meeting is together for what? For implementation. They said, look, we've worked these things out over the years. We've got our Paris Agreement. Last year, they had the Glasgow Agreement, um, kind of refining some things. And now this year, they're together, and their theme is together for implementation. It's, it's not time for talk anymore. It's time for action. And I spent some hours this week listening to some of these world leaders talk. One after another, leaders of the countries coming up and presenting, hey, we've got to do this, we've got to enter in, and this is what we're doing. They have to report what is their country doing every year to advance towards these goals. So, this is happening right now. And it's happening in Egypt, on the Sinai Peninsula, the traditional Catholic site where they believe Sinai is. It's happening right down there, Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. So they're holding it down there. And that's not an accident that they chose the location where they believe the Ten Commandments came from. That's not an accident you'll see here in just a minute. So what are some of the things from this uh, previous year's agreement, COP26, the Glasgow Agreement, that they are wanting to affirm and implement? 
One of those is that wealthy countries need to pay $100 billion annually to undeveloped countries to aid them in reaching net zero emissions by 2050. Want to know where your tax dollars are going to go in the next several years? They're pushing hard for it. $100 billion need to come from the U.S. to these other countries each year so that these other countries can develop their systems and start reaching these global agreements, this global pact. That's big. That's a lot of money. And not just the U.S., but other developed countries are paying into that to the poorer countries. And they want to be very, they've noted that during the 2020s, they want to be very aggressive years of change for this entire initiative. So hold on to your seat because we're in the 2020s and over the next several years, these guys are pushing strong, strong for this movement that they've already, already agreed to. So do we see the political and religious worlds joining together in a massive global unity pact, starting to have one mind? I believe we do. And this will end with drastic change for the entire world, for our economy, for our way of life. Now what about the religious side? Where do we see this coming in? Here's something from the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development. This group is very, very involved with this whole conversation. So we've been talking about the political side mostly, but the religious side is very strong. And Pope Francis is one of the primary leaders pulling these folks together. We've seen little bits and pieces coming to us in the news over the last several years, but it's pushing even more. So right now, in Egypt, while the political leaders are meeting, guess who else is meeting there? Religious leaders of the world. They're meeting to discuss what they are going to do to make this a reality, to change the world completely in all of these areas, and to reach these goals of the Paris Agreement. So what are they doing? Here is an article that they, they published on a website. Um, by the Interfaith Center, and it's titled, In Sinai, A Prophetic Call for Climate Justice and Ceremony of Repentance. The religious side of this whole story. Prophetic Call for Climate Justice and a Ceremony of Repentance. And it says in their article, Between November 6th and 18th, 2022, the UN Climate Conference COP27 will take place on the Sinai Peninsula in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Religious communities and religious leaders have a key role to play in addressing climate change and climate justice, which requires deep transformation within society. They're all expecting this is not a surface thing. This is a big change. And I kind of feel like COVID-19 set the world up for this too. We had a really big change recently, didn't we? And so they're ready for big change, deep transformation within society. And they say this here, um, We come to Sinai in a movement of repentance and quest. We seek a new vision for humanity and its endangered existence. And we seek to receive and amplify a message. Notice they're going to receive a message and amplify a message. After this next week, Monday to Wednesday is when these religious leaders are planning to talk about this. They're going to be taking a message away, taking it back home, and they're going to start to amplify that message. We're going to be hearing 
this message, whatever results. We're going to hear this message coming out. And this message is going to you know, reach our ears, but it's going to reach also the ears of political leaders. And it says here, they're coming to receive and amplify a message of life-sustaining living and habits that humanity needs to hear today. Habits that we all need, they believe. Notice this next line. I believe it's a very, very critical sentence in their statements. In this spirit, the project partners will bring together premier, <coughs> premier religious leaders from the world's major religions to put forth a prophetic interreligious call to action. Ten universal principles for climate change. Ten universal principles for climate change. Any uh, chance that was a coincidence at Mount Sinai? Want to come up with the new Ten Commandments for the religious world today regarding climate change? What, what would those Ten Commandments look like? These new Ten Commandments that they want to you know, say is good for everybody and all the world religions agree and they'll recommend it to the king. All the world religions agree. Sounds like some of the stories in Daniel, doesn't it? We've all agreed, King, sign this. You heard that before? I've read that before in the book of Daniel. That's sounding pretty serious. So what, what would those Ten Commandments look like? Well, I'll read that in just a minute. Let me finish one more statement from here. <laughs> okay, so um, Interfaith Climate Events at COP27. The Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development together with partners, is organizing four multi-faith climates at COP27 from Monday, November 14th through Wednesday, November 16th. Guess that's coming up, isn't it? Starts on, yeah, it's coming Monday. The events will incorporate concrete examples of how religious communities are actively meeting the climate challenge and feature concrete initiatives, things that we need to do that translate the broader spiritual practices into action. Coming together for implementation, coming together for action, initiatives that we need to follow. So, I asked the question a moment ago, what are these Ten Commandments going to look like? Well, on Newsweek.com, there was an opinion piece written just recently. It was uh, published on August 25th, 2022, by a name man, sorry, a man named Yosef um, Abrahamowitz. And this guy is part of that whole interfaith climate change group. Okay, so this wasn't just an opinion on the street. This was an opinion from an insider to the group that's now meeting in Egypt to discuss what the world needs to do from a religious perspective to bring all this about. It's pretty serious. He's an insider to that whole group, right? That's going to be more than an opinion. It's going to become reality in some way once everybody gets together and makes their decisions on what needs to happen. So he writes his, his opinion about these Ten Commandments, and he tells about what they're going to do over there at the COP27 gathering. And he says this, One of the ideas was returning to the Ten Commandments given at Sinai. While not set in stone, here's my vision, or my version. And he starts to share the, his commandments. So he goes through these Ten Commandments, and I'll, I'll spare you all of them but I'll give you at least one of them. One of the Ten Commandments that he suggests that we all need to keep is keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath, huh? Well, we know about that message in the Bible. 
Well, what does he say about keeping the Sabbath? He says this, Emissions are down 30% over the Sabbath every week in Israel and are almost zeroed out on Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement, the holiest of the year. A global weekly non-carbon day of rest could reduce emissions of the world by a seventh and can be observed by different faith communities on different days. Now, he's very generous to give the different faith communities different days. But I don't think it's going to stay that way, do you? And in fact, this is just his opinion that actual wording and actual voting is going to take place this week on what these things are going to look like, these initiatives, these concrete initiatives to hand over to the religious world. They're going to meet on it this week and discuss it. Now, is he the only one thinking that way? Or are a lot more of these guys thinking that way too? A lot more of them are thinking that way, not just him. Because if you go back to Laudato Si from 2015, Pope Francis was very clear with what needs to happen from a religious standpoint for changing the world, changing the climate. And I'll read to you a little bit about what he says from Laudato Si. It says here in paragraph 71, The biblical tradition clearly shows that this renewal entails recovering and respecting the rhythms inscribed in nature by the hand of the Creator. We see this, for example, in the law of the Sabbath. On the seventh day, God rested from all His work. He commanded Israel to set aside each seventh day as a day of rest. Similarly, every seven years, a sabbatical year was set aside for Israel, a complete rest for the land. And then he goes on to talk about the Jubilee and resting the land, how important it is. So he goes through those things and uh, he tells us that we need to focus on, on people and focus on relationships. In fact, let me read you one of those statements. It says, The law came about as an attempt to ensure balance and fairness in their relationships with others and with the land on which they lived and worked. At the same time, it was an acknowledgement that the gift of the earth with its fruits belongs to everyone. Common home. Common home. We all need to rest and work on relationships and help the land to heal. But do you think he's going to promote the biblical Sabbath? Is he going to promote the seventh-day Sabbath that, that is described here? No, not a chance. He goes on later in the document. He has a whole section Section 6, paragraph 237 is the one I'm going to point out. But in this section, there's several paragraphs. It's like 233 to 237. And it's entitled, Sacramental Signs and the Celebration of Rest. How does he celebrate rest? Paragraph 237. On Sunday, our participation in the Eucharist has special importance. Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world. And he goes on to say a few more things there, but I'll share you something from the end of that statement, that paragraph. The law of weekly rest forbade work on the seventh day, so that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your maidservant and the stranger may be refreshed. Rest opens our eyes to the larger picture and gives us renewed sensitivity to the rights of others. And so the day of rest, centered on the Eucharist, 
sheds its light on the whole week and motivates us to greater concern for nature and the poor. So these are the big things. These rich countries, you've got to start giving up your money. You've got to shut things down and give it over to the poor countries so they can develop things. And you've got to think about the land and think about relationships and all this. So here very clearly throughout his document, he promotes Sunday as Sunday rest as one of the major solutions that the world needs today, that the, the religious world needs today. And all of the world leaders sitting over there right now meeting have read his document. And it's what got them marching to his tune in 2015 when they showed up and made the Paris Agreement. It was an answer to this very encyclical which promotes Sunday as the day of rest that the world needs to get their focus back in the right direction. Not on money, not on the economy, not on industrial progress, but on the earth, on humanity, on this other way of life. And so he is leading the tune when it comes to the spiritual side of things. And these leaders who are already talking about what they want to do, they're all considering that, hey, we need a day of rest. It worked in, it's worked in the Catholic Church. It's worked over in Israel on the Sabbath. The missions are really cut down. So, hey, this will be great. This will be perfect for the world. And everybody is on board with this. They're very, very serious about it. You know, if you go back to the Catholic Catechism, the official book of Catholic teachings, it actually tells that they should promote... Um, they should promote Sunday as a rest day. Do you know that's, that's an official doctrine of the Catholic Church, that it needs to be promoted? And let me see if I can find you the one here. Paragraph, this is also in paragraphs. Okay, paragraph 2176 of the Catholic Catechism says, The celebration of Sunday observes the moral commandment inscribed by nature in the human heart to render to God an outward, visible, public, and regular worship as a sign of His universal, universal beneficence to all. Okay? And, uh, what's that? Yeah, yeah, a lot about nature there. And he says, Just as God, this is paragraph 2184, Just as God rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done, the uh, human life has a rhythm of work and rest. Notice how the language of the Catechism is the language of Laudato Si. This rhythm of rest and work. And it's the message that the world leaders have, have now been following. The institution of the Lord's Day helps everyone enjoy adequate rest and leisure and cultivate their familial, cultural, social, and religious lives. In spite of economic constraints, public authorities should ensure citizens a time intended for rest and divine worship. Employers have a similar obligation towards their employees in respecting religious liberty and the common good. Is that familiar language? The common good of all. Christians should seek recognition of Sundays and the church's holy days as legal holidays. Did you know that was an official teaching of the Catholic Church for all their followers right there in the Catechism? That if you're a Catholic, you need to seek official recognition of the church's holy day as a legal holiday. And he says here that, um, you know, in spite of economic constraints and public, public authorities should ensure citizens a time intended for rest and divine worship. So, 
in Laudato Si and in this movement, they're attacking a lot of these things with the industrial world and things about work and all of that. And they're saying we need to get back to these rhythms of life. We need to start keeping Sunday holy. That's what they're saying. And we need to legislate it. We need to make sure that people know this is the day of worship, right? This is the day we can rest. And this will make sure that we're not putting out carbons because we're resting on that day instead of working and running our cars everywhere. Um, we need to have that rest for the environment. It's so perfect. Well, I can think of just a few more statements that will be helpful for us to close with. And these are written by another author on the other side of the um, idea about worship on the day of worship. These statements come from about 100 years ago, but they're very relevant today. So, Last Day Events, from the book Last Day Events, page 128, it says, when our nation shall so abjure the principles of its government as to elect a Sunday law, Protestantism will in this act join hands with popery. Are these churches heading to join hands with popery right now as we speak? They have and they are, right? I mean, it's big. It's big. But it's going to become even yeah, more pronounced as they, as they push to enact a Sunday law. It says here on page 128 of the same book, Protestants will throw their whole influence and strength on the side of the papacy. By a national act enforcing a false Sabbath, they will give life and vigor to the corrupt faith of Rome, reviving her tyranny and oppression of conscience. Sooner or later, Sunday laws will be passed. Are they talking about this right now? They are. Big time. Soon the Sunday laws will be enforced and men in positions of trust will be embittered against the little handful of God's commandment-keeping people. Can you imagine political leaders, the whole, all these world leaders who have completely agreed to follow this agenda that the Pope has put forth? Can you imagine what some stubborn little group of Christians will look like who want to keep the seventh-day Sabbath and say, no, I'm sorry, Sunday is not the day of rest. The Sabbath is the day of rest. What will we look like to all these political leaders who are investing billions every year of their budget into this project. And they're fully sold on it. Yeah, you guys over there, what's your problem? You know, you're messing up the, the rhythm of the world. That's pretty serious. So they'll be embittered against us. You can already see it coming together. Um, another statement there. It says, referring to the prophecy of Revelation 13, it says it declares that the power represented by the beast, um, I was talking about the lamb-like beast, which we know the lamb-like beast. Those are the leopard-like beast and the lamb-like beast in Revelation 13, those two beasts. She says this, This prophecy will be fulfilled when the United States shall enforce Sunday observance, which Rome claims as the special acknowledgement of her supremacy. Now, one more statement from the same book. Last Day Events, 129. Political corruption is destroying love of justice and regard for the truth. Now, have we seen that happen in recent times? Any political corruption in the world today? You don't have to ask, right? And it's destroying love of justice and regard for the truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demand for a law enforcing Sunday observance. Now you can imagine if all of the world leaders, the religious leaders, are joining right now to talk about these commandments, 
and Sunday's on their agenda as a day of rest to help the environment and help the world, well, that's the message that they're going to bring home and start pushing to their congregations, start pushing to everybody. And guess what? They're going to get them rallied up. Let's go talk to the political leaders and let's, let's call for this. We need this law. Let's push for it. Let's sign a petition. Right? They're going to be pushing for it. And the, we're told here that the political leaders will yield to that. Now, have we seen this throughout history? How about in the days of Jesus? Who put Jesus on the cross besides us and our sin? The religious leaders. The political leaders were ready to let him go. He hasn't done anything. He's innocent. Oh no, you don't know this guy. He's really bad. You've got to get rid of him. And so they pushed and they pushed and they pushed. And Pilate, in his political corruption, yielded to those leaders and said, oh, okay, fine, whatever. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Crucify him. What do I care? I'll just wash my hands. Do we see this coming down? History repeats itself, doesn't it? It's coming. It's coming here in our time. Now, how fast can these things take place? Very fast. In December of 2004, how many people in Sumatra who went to the beach that day thought that a great tsunami was coming? How many of you know that story? The great, great tsunami there in Sumatra? How many people knew when they went to the beach that day, just another sunny day, that a giant wave was coming straight at them? Nobody knew. Just a day on the beach, right? But there it was. How many people knew back in March of 2020 that suddenly, overnight, their world was going to shut down? That they couldn't work, do things, and just everything was going to change. And not even just for a week or two weeks but ongoing changes in the world. None of us would have guessed. Suddenly, everything was shut down. Every plan was canceled. Happens very quick. These things are coming, and they're coming very quick. They're coming very quick. Okay? The world is pulling into that position, as Revelation 17 tells us, that these have one mind, and they will give their power and strength unto the beast. They're already following what the beast has been recommending and they're meeting to make decisions on it right now that are going to flow into our world. And troubles are going to get a lot worse. And we've already looked at gasoline and transportation. Everything must change. And all the world leaders are committed to making sure that it happens. Not just the political ones, but the religious ones. So let's be in prayer. What do you say? <laughs> Let's be seeking the Lord for His help. Let's ask the Lord Jesus to lead us. And let's follow the Lord Jesus. Not these powers that have united in rebellion against God and His commandments. Let's follow Jesus and keep His commandments. Amen? Let's follow the biblical truths. I think everyone who hears this message today needs to make that decision. And some people not even here in this room today might hear this message as it's going to be put online. So... We need to respond to Jesus today. If we don't know the backstory behind these truths, the Sabbath and Sunday, this question, it's being agitated. I didn't start this conversation. They did to agitate it before the world. But we need to make sure the truth gets out there. We need to tell people about this. And everyone needs to, to get up to speed on what God's commandments really are. Make your decisions today because if you follow the world and the world leaders, you're in big trouble.
the Lord will come and He's taken everybody down. I don't want to be on that team, do you? I don't want to be on that side that's going down. We need to choose Jesus today because in the end, Jesus wins. Amen? Amen. Shall we stand together and pray and say, Lord, we want to walk with You. Lord, we want to stand with You in this time of trouble. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for Your amazing love. Thank You for Jesus and His truth. Lord, these are incredible times, even scary times if you think about it. But we know that you are a great and powerful God. We know, Lord, that you have revealed all of this long before it ever came about in our world. But today we see everything coming into place. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to stand with Jesus and keep his commandments. We want to have the faith of Jesus and be those people who faithfully obey your word. So, Lord, may you guide us in this. And I just pray that many more will realize the truth of your word and get ready for your soon coming. Let us not follow the world leaders, but let us follow Jesus and him only. For this, Lord, we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. It's been great having you as a listener. May God richly bless your day. I look forward to having you join me for the next podcast. Blessings and take care.